and welcome to another episode of the Macari Sellers Podcast. I uh, don't always do this, but on this episode, I had to go back and get Tom Bonnier, who is just one of the smartest political minds I know, because we have to kind of sort out what the hell is going on in this uh, American political landscape. And we've had you on the show before, Tom, but if you can remind our listeners of how you got into politics and the business of public opinion and polling, let's start from there. Yeah, and I'm so happy to be back. Um, I, I've sort of been in this line of business from the beginning for me. I started when I was 19 years old, working in the original Democratic numbers crunching entity, uh, NCEC, and have just spent my entire career working around political data and basically helping campaigns make data-driven decisions, which sounds simple, but I don't know increasingly difficult these days <laughs> you know uh, about that whole thing and some of the work that you all have been doing you know posters got a lot of flack after 2020 and have been getting flack since 2016 for folks who aren't political junkies can you unpack some of the criticism about polling and posters stemming from some of the re really bad polling we saw in 2020 and how have uh, you seen posters respond yeah i mean that's that's the the big question and honestly like it, it didn't start in 2020. I mean, I think really back to 2016 when the polling gave us such confidence that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president and the polls were just wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, the answer was, okay, we're not getting the right people. There was a bias. And a lot of the pollsters reacted, I think, in a pretty smart way by looking at the way they were drawing samples, the way they were weighting it. Because in, in the end, a poll has to, to be accurate, it has to look like the electorate. And that's hard because who knows what the electorate is going to look like? You don't know right. until the people vote. And so in the end, pollsters have had, and this is not uh, to talk down the work we do, right? Because the pollsters have had this position of being the gurus, right? They know everything because they have the data. And the reality is none of us are as smart as maybe we would like the world to believe. And I think that was something that we figured out in 2016. But I, I think the response was thoughtful and and helpful where we looked at and said, well, number one, we weren't accounting for educational attainment, which suddenly became this big factor in campaigns. And the fact of the matter was when you looked at especially white voters and you looked at the difference between better educated and less educated, what didn't used to have a big impact on voting was huge. Trump was winning over these less educated white voters and he was repelling these better educated white voters. So pollsters start waiting on educational attainment. Polls in 2018 are better. And then 2020 happens and the polls are worse. They're even worse than they were in 2016. And I will tell you, you know, there's been another thoughtful effort from the polling community, um, an introspective effort to figure out what went wrong. But, you know, the honest answer is the response has generally been like a shoulder shrug emoji. It's been, frankly, they haven't come up with a good answer. And the best answer they want to come up with is just due to response rates. Like when you look at polling even 10 years ago, about 20% of the people you call would answer and take the survey. In 2016, that was down to about 3%. In 2020, it was less than 1%. It was about a half a percent, which is wild when you think about that. You call 1,000 people to get five people to take a survey. That's crazy. Well, naturally, the people that you get are going to have something unique about them um, that perhaps isn't reflective of, quote, the average voter, whatever that is. But it just means it's harder to get a representative sample. I guess the last point I would make on that, though, is 
the part of polling that the public is going to interact with most is in a lot of ways, the least important component of polling from a strategic perspective for a campaign or an organization in that the public, we're going to focus on who's winning, who's going to win. That's what we want to know in a campaign. Yeah, of course, everyone in the campaign is going to focus on that because you want to know if you're up or down, it's, it's turning into a sport. But in the end, the more important part is what are the messages that are going to uh, get your voters out to, to sway the persuadable voters and how do they work? Now that said the same flaws that impact the horse race, the prediction of who's going to win are also in some ways impacting our ability to understand the electorate. So I'm not saying there isn't a problem there. I'm saying the solution to the problem um, is perhaps a little bit more complicated. And that's a great segue into my next question, because we've seen the leaked draft overturning uh, Roe. Uh, but I think there's a legitimate question as to what the electoral impacts of the opinion will be in this November's elections. What are you seeing in your polling about how this will be received electorally, particularly from Democratic-leaning voters? Well, you know, I mean, this is an issue that we're all aware um, for at least as long as I've been involved in political campaigns, which again goes back to the, the mid-90s, um, has been something that Democrats have been talking about, warning about if I remember in the 2000 election in Bush v. Gore, that that was a lot of what we were talking about was the Supreme Court and that we can't let the Republicans win because they will uh, put in justices who will overturn Roe. So it's been part of Democratic messaging. And, you know, I think at a certain point, it lost its edge. I don't think voters believed that Roe would ever be overturned. And so I think what we're seeing, um, we don't have a great precedent and we don't have a great roadmap. For anyone who tells you that they know exactly how this will impact the electorate, I don't think is being honest with you. Mm -hmm. I think it's reasonable to assume that this decision, should the leak prove accurate and they do vote this way, and there's no reason to believe that that won't happen, um, that it will energize Democratic voters to come out and it will potentially swing some voters. But it's kind of let me let's dig on that a little bit because. I guess the question I have for you is, do you see this energizing people who are already engaged or do you see this falling flat with the drop off in infrequent voters Democrats need? Or is the question just framed poorly? Gosh, that's tough. I, I don't know. I mean, the answer is I don't know. I, I, there's an argument to be made that those who are going to be most fired up about this are, as you're alluding to in your question, those who are already fired up. I mean, we know, look, we're headed into a midterm election where turnout, especially for the president's party, tends to be not great. And so uh, in the end, you look at a lightning rod issue like this, and I do believe that it will have a net positive effect for Democratic turnout. But I think it's a question of extent, and I don't know the answer. It might just resonate mostly with those super voters who are going to come out anyhow. I think if Democrats are looking at this issue and expecting it to be the silver bullet issue that will deliver for Democrats and get the progressives out, especially those who generally only vote in presidential years, I think that would be a mistake. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree, especially with inflation really looming as the number one issue. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. 
Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. We've got a nominee in Pennsylvania and Fetterman. God bless him. Hope he gets healthy. What have you seen in the data and exit polls that can, should concern Fetterman and the general first? Well, you know, I, I've, I've been looking over the election results from the primary. And obviously, he won by a commanding margin. Ended right. up not being a very competitive primary. Um, and, you know, at some point, it, it did look like it could have been. And certainly when that race was setting up, it looked like it could have been. Um, and he won by a, a huge margin. But when you look at, you know, I, I'm looking at, I looked at Philadelphia. He won, he won Philly. He won Philly by a narrower margin than he did statewide. And the reason for that is I looked at the wards in the city with the highest African-American percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at, and there's a number of them, you know, where the population is 90% greater African-American. And not only did he not win a single election division, or as they call them there, precinct. Um, and most of those, he finished third. You know, and so initially when you look at that, you say, okay, well, he, he it's not crazy that he didn't win them, especially running against Kenyatta there, a local favorite. Um, but why did he run behind Connor Lamb in those precincts? And, you know, I, I, I mean, I think the answer to that is obvious. People have been saying all along that, um, noting that even in the polling, we've seen weakness, obviously, because of, um, you know, the incident from some time ago. And, you know, I, I think you're seeing that impact in the results. So he, he clearly has he has work to do. And so what did you see on the flip side that should give him hope? And well, I guess the last question is, do you I, this race will be close because he's got he's I mean, he's either running against Mehmet Oz or McCormick. Uh, do you think he has the juice to flip it? I do. Uh, you know, obviously, Pennsylvania is a state that has been trending a little bit towards the Republicans, but it's still a state that I think generically favors Democrats. I think just in the end, Democrats have an advantage, obviously, a state that Biden won. When you look at um, his performance in the primary, there are a lot of strengths there. I mean, he, he was strongest in a lot of ways where Democrats have been weakest um, in general elections. So if he can turn that into... Um, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the, the Republican primary, as you said, I, I think it'll be a while before we know who, who won yeah. that primary. We'll see. Uh, but Oz was actually strongest in a lot of those suburban Philly areas where Democrats have been strongest. Um, but Fetterman, yeah, I, I mean, Western Pennsylvania, where he has his roots, um, a lot of 
these more rural communities, a lot of the white working class areas that Democrats love to focus on. Uh, he, he was strong in those areas. And so that'll be a big question, right? Is it, he's a guy who's a little bit, I don't want to say he's a blank slate, but he tends to defy a lot of the convenient set narratives. Um, and so we'll see, is he able to go out and succeed in some of these areas that have been trending away from Democrats? I mean, if a guy like him can't, then I think you have to put aside that notion that Democrats are going to be able to win. But he also doesn't have to win. He just has to not get slaughtered. No, that's right. I mean, there are enough, even with, with Republicans surging in registration there somewhat, Democrats still have a registration advantage, still have cores in Philly, Philly and Pittsburgh or Allegheny and in, in Philadelphia counties make up almost a quarter of the vote in the state. Yeah. And they're so yeah. overwhelmingly democratic. So uh, and then you add in the the Philadelphia media market suburbs and like Bucks County, Delaware County, Montgomery County, so many Democratic votes there. So you're right. No, he, do, he doesn't have to win those areas. He doesn't have to come close to winning those areas. If he can improve on past Democratic performance by a few points, uh, he wins. And that's a huge seat for Democrats in terms of holding on to the Senate. Yeah, I think I mean, that's one that Democrats have to have. You got to have because Democrats have uh, Georgia, um, Nevada. Arizona, that's right. New Hampshire, that they have to maintain. I think those are the four. Yeah, um, th- th- those are, and, and then you've got Pennsylvania and Wisconsin as the well. Let, let's the only about, real opportunities. Well, no, 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 Tom. <laughs> those are not the only real opportunities. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about Sherry Beasley in North Carolina. What okay, should concern good. the Beasley campaign, and what uh, does she have any hope against Ted? But apparently not. In the, in <laughs> and not making my list. No, that's that's fair. Look, I would say when we're talking about toss ups, I would actually I, 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 in, in toss ups, I wouldn't even put New Hampshire in that list. I'd, I'd have Georgia, Arizona, Nevada on the Dem side and on the Republican side, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Those are my those are the five toss ups. I think if you can add New Hampshire, North Carolina in, you know, some people want to talk about Ohio. And I think it's it's you know, that's a tough one. We're not winning Ohio. Yeah. Um, but, but North Carolina, you know, even there, the primary results were interesting because that Senate primary was obviously not contested, um, but almost 700,000 Democrats voted. It was high. It was, it was a very high turnout for a Democratic Or primary. what about the underperformance of Pat McCory? Yep. I mean, I don't know what you can read into that, if anything, but Pat McCory was the former two-term mayor of Charlotte. He was a rising star, one-term governor of the state. And he got shellacked. Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting. I mean, the Republican Party um, is obviously, I want to say, to put it kindly, in an interesting place right now. I don't think they've really paid for it in terms of electoral consequences. Uh, you know, for the most part, um, even though they've had divisive primaries, their voters still seem to come out and support the nominee. I don't know if we see a breaking point with that at some point. Uh, North Carolina is an interesting state. When you look at the political DNA of the state, um, you look at Georgia, um, uh, you look at Virginia, North Carolina has a lot of similar characteristics in that uh, a Democrat can do better with white voters there. You know, obviously, as, 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 as you know um, better than I, 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 I mean, listen, Southern state will look at the recipe and say, what percent of the white vote do you need to win? And it varies. Trust me, I, I remember that. But in, in North Carolina, though, you have Mecklenburg County and you have the research triangle. So That's you right. have a college educated white voter, which gives you a better chance to win that voter. That's right. So I think that's exactly why, um, you know, why there is a path to victory there. 
Um, and then it, it's, it's the same recipe as Georgia. It's, you know, black turnout has to be high and the white vote can't go below a certain uh, share. Can that happen? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the, the climate in a midterm election like this is not great. Um, but at the same time, it's not what people thought it was going to be a year ago. That's true. That's true. Uh, what about Wisconsin? Can Democrats flip Wisconsin? Yeah, you know, Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin is a tough state in a lot of ways. When you look at the Midwestern states, they've sort of all moved to the right, but at different paces, where obviously states like Ohio and Missouri have, uh, and I'll throw Iowa in there, and have moved to the right. Indiana. People forget that Barack Obama won Indiana in 2000. Right, 2008. You're <laughs> yeah. right. Which is, even at the time, that seemed crazy, but but he did it. Um, I don't know, you know crazy. I mean, they had uh, Evan Bayh. No, Was that's it, right. But, it was a United States senator. Yeah, no, that's right. And he had, you know, Obama had some, some, uh, you know, being from from Illinois, uh, I think they're a little bit more familiar with him. Uh, but Wisconsin is the state that's been, you know, the next one on the bubble. And I think Democrats have done a good job holding on. There are There is a better educated electorate there as well, but it's not like Minnesota. It uh, doesn't have the diversity of Minnesota. The educational attainment isn't quite there. So, yeah, I, Wisconsin is one. Look, if you look at the Senate map, if Democrats just hold the Biden states, they pick up two seats in the Senate. They'd be 52 seats. Uh, and, right. and I'm not predicting that, but I'm saying, look, that's it's not like Democrats have to do something crazy in winning states that, are, that aren't winnable. Just holding Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. Of course, those are Biden states that were won by the narrowest margin. But the good news is we have incumbents in all three of those. And then in the opens and, you know, and looking at Pennsylvania, looking at Wisconsin, Biden won there. Democrats can win. Talk about some gubernatorial races. Maryland is a great opportunity for a gubernatorial flip. Do you see that happening? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, that's, Me that's, I'm, I think that's I'm biased. I think that's, a, I, I think that's a layup for whoever wins, yes. Westmore or Tom Perez or whoever. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're all familiar with, I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I've lived in Maryland for a long time since then. And they have a similar sort of dynamic where for whatever reason, overwhelmingly Democratic states that love to elect Republican governors. I think that's getting harder for Republicans. Uh, it, when I talk about the price that Republicans pay for what they've done, I guess maybe that's it. It's it's going to be harder for them to win in these blue states. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, she has a compelling candidate running against her who's running a god awful campaign. But the former uh, Detroit mayor, uh, Detroit mayor, Detroit police chief Craig. I mean, Gretchen seems to be holding strong, but it's going to be tough, isn't it? It's always tough in Michigan. Uh, it, it, it's always tough. I, I, you know, I worked, uh, on the, uh, the coordinate campaign in Michigan 22 years ago in 2000, and it was a top tier targeted state. Then I think it will <laughs> always be, always be, yes. um, you know, and sometimes it ends up not being as close. Um, you know, there, there are great political organizers in Michigan. Uh, that's going to be a close race, but I, I, I believe she, she will hold on there. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. 
I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Now let's talk about Georgia. It's definitely going to be um, Kemp. Purdue has pulled off all his ads. The, uh, the packs have stopped running ads. I don't know what he thought he was doing. It's another loss or blackout for Donald Trump. So it's going to be Kemp. Can Abrams pull this off? I, I, you know, in one breath, you say it's going to be tough, but then you're like, I do expect Warnock to win. So that's right. I, I don't know how you get those two things to mesh. That's right. Uh, yeah. And she can absolutely win. Uh, you know, I, I, when six months ago, when things looked, well, look, three months ago, when things looked worse for Democrats, I still believe she could win in that climate because Georgia is demographically different. It has the youngest electorate, um, the African-American population, 30, uh, almost a third of the population. And, and again, when you talk about good political organizers, Georgia, I don't think you'll find many states with better. Sure. And, and, and Leader Abrams has, has been obviously a huge part of that. And so you know, the formula there, we've seen it. We've seen it. We saw it two years ago in sweeping the federal races, the two Senate seats and the presidential. There's no reason that that can't be reassembled um, when you have a governor who's damaged, right? Yes, he's, as you say, he's going to win the primary, but he's been beat up by the by Trump, yeah, for, and Trump for two and years. Trump's, and Trump's going to still talk about him and not yes. support him and probably tell his voters not to show up. That's this right. Is a, this is the most fascinating race, though. Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, because competency-wise, they're not in the same tier. Effectiveness, oratory ability, uh, oratory, oratorical ability, as I say that. Um, I mean, it's just, it's night and day other than they're both Black men. I mean, one has a, a record that is filled with past transgressions. The other is a pastor, a, ba- a Southern Baptist minister at Dr. King's church, right? Like, this is like a weird, weird... Uh, race, but what are you seeing in the Warnock Walker matchup and what issues? Because that's what I'm interested in. I mean, is this an issues thing or is it like voters? Is, is this going to be a local race or is it going to be voters coming out to say Herschel Walker will support the Donald Trump agenda? I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I, I, I don't see Walker being able to pull off anything beyond that. I mean, the Republican playbook that we saw in 2020, I imagine they will go right back to that, which will be. The socialism, the 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 communist Democrats, the unsafe cities, the so on and so forth, and you know that'll work some places. And baby killers, we're baby, baby killers. killers. Yes. No, that's that's right. But look, in in the end, I looked at the exit polls from 2000 in Georgia. 
Uh, I've seen more recent polling in Georgia. Um, the row getting overturned will not be popular with the majority of voters in Georgia. I don't think that helps the Republicans. I do think it helps the Democratic ticket in Georgia. Uh, it's, it's not as much of a, a home run issue as it is elsewhere. So I, I, I think Walker will be running the generic MAGA playbook. And we saw that. And, and what he'll need to count on is just the electorate looking different enough. Yeah. Uh, enough Republicans coming out, enough Democrats staying home. And that's hard when you've got um, Reverend Warnock, Senator Warnock and Leader Abrams on the ticket. The odds that voters are not going to get energized by that ticket, I just don't see it. And not only that, but I mean, uh, Herschel Walker has to come outside. He didn't come outside the entire primary, but if he has to come outside, he's going to make mistakes. All right, just last last question for you. Ultimately, do you think Republicans win both chambers in the fall or can Democrats keep them or do we see a split like a Republican House and Democratic Senate? What I pray for is I believe we'll lose the House, but I pray for a 51-49 Senate so Joe Manchin doesn't matter. No, from your lips to God's ears. Uh, <laughs> what I would what, what I wouldn't do to see that happen. I think I think what you're saying, um, you know, the House is more difficult than the Senate in my mind because of everything I said before. D Democrats hold the Biden states; they can actually pick up two seats. They don't need to pick up two seats uh, to hold the Senate. They just need to hold. So I think that's easier. The House, we know the track record, right? Uh, the president's party has only gained seats in the first term midterm election once in the last 50 years, and that was the post 9-11 election. The president's party loses by an average of 6.5 points in that midterm, first term midterm election. That said, a lot of the things that were lining up to say Democrats are doomed in the House, it was that. It was the history. It was redistricting that we believe Democrats were going to get wiped out and redistribute. That hasn't happened. The projections now say Republicans might pick up two seats through redistricting. Are they, you know, you look at the average now, the real clear politics or the 538 um, average in the generic house race, um, generic ballot test, their lead, Republican lead is about two points. They're not anywhere close to where, um, where they happen in the past. And the reason is the Republican Party is historically unpopular. Uh, anyway, people look at it and say, oh, I can't believe Republicans are getting away with all this craziness. But the reality is they're not. Um, they should be running away with this election, given that all, everything that's in their favor and the historical precedent. And they are not. So in the end, I do think Democrats are poised to pull off a surprise. Would I predict Democrats gaining seats in the House? No. I mean, it, 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 the winds are just too much in their face. But I do think they're poised uh, for a potential surprise. And there, there is a chance that Democrats hold on. Well, that's some good news. Tell people where they can find you. And I want you to know that every time I get time on the show, that means I have to come speak to his class. So I can't wait to do that when they get back in August. You are, you are so kind with your time and, and you are a favorite speaker. I appreciate it. Uh, Targetsmart.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I try to share good information there, but sometimes it just gets pithy. But T-Bonier, T-B-O-N-I-E-R. Sounds good. Thank you, T. Banya, for joining us on the Bakari Sales Podcast. We'll call you again soon before November, I'm sure. Thank you so much. I won't tell you, this gonna be your